This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Thanks for tuning in to Calvary Online. This is week two in our series, second weekend of January 2021, and we thought we were going to get off to a great new year, and didn't it get crazier? What a world we're living in of divide and challenge and uncertainty, and all I can say is that really leads us to this series with more purpose in our hearts to know we need to know who Jesus is. We're in this series called Jesus, the one who changes everything. He is the great I am. If you weren't with us last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that opening series in which we... Start again. It's not an opening opening week. Mm -hmm. But that's okay to do something like that, right? A little quicker. Okay. Hi, Calvary. Thanks for tuning in to our worship service online on the second weekend of January 2021. We were thinking we'd get off to a great new year, and didn't it get crazy already? We're living in a world that's in trouble, turmoil, division, strife. And all that leads us to is the certainty that we have to look to Jesus. This is the reason why for the opening months of this year, we want to look at a series called Jesus, I Am, the one who changes everything. And he is the one who changes everything. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to go back and look at the message where we introduce Jesus as the great I Am, the one who is uncreated, uncaused, all-sufficient, self-sufficient, omnicompetent, everlasting. He's the one that we look to. And there are these seven statements that he makes in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, that I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. And we know that in these troubled days, the greatest anchor for our soul is being tied to the identity of Jesus and our identity in him. So we're in week two today. I am the bread of life. So if you have your Bible, open with me to John chapter six. Now there's a couple of things we have to do to help us get up to speed with the metaphor that Jesus uses of himself. I'm the bread of life. Because there is a massive gap between John chapter 6 and our lives in 2021 here in one of the most prosperous nations in the world. Let me see if I can illustrate it by asking you a couple questions. Um, Number one, where does food come from? If you ask most children, where does food come from, what will they say? Whole foods, of course, or King Supers, or Safeway, or Sprouts, um, or Trader Joe's. Food comes from the store. And in our world, that's sort of the way we think because most of us didn't grow up on a farm to know that food actually comes from plants and animals. 
But in John chapter 6, a very agrarian society, where food comes from is such a different mindset. Or if I were to ask you a second question, um, what is the food staple for most Coloradans? I don't know what you would answer. It's impossible to answer because you could have chicken today and steak tomorrow and fish on Friday and you could go to a Mediterranean restaurant or an Italian restaurant or a Mexican restaurant or eat Thai food tomorrow. We haven't the concept that there is one staple entity that really is uh, our food for the day. In the first century, give us this day our daily bread. And if you go around the world and you say, well, what's the staple food for many people around the world? It's simply this, rice. Maybe rice and beans. But in our world, there's a real big gap between John 6 culture and ours. Here's another question. Why do you work? Why do you go to work? Most of us would answer that. We say, well, I go to work in order to make money, in order that I can buy things, I can buy a house, or I'm really trying to get a new car. And these are unthinkable in the first century. People would work in the first century in order to eat. That's why Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Uh, and it's estimated that perhaps as much as 85% of a person's wages were spent on food. And that is just an amazing idea of a world that we're far away from when we get to John chapter six. One last question. What happens if you don't eat? I mean, if you never eat again, what happens? Yeah, you know that. Now this episode in John chapter six is rooted on a couple of um, assumptions, or there are some precursors to this teaching. And in John chapter 6, the opening of the chapter begins with one of the great miracles of Jesus, that he fed the 5,000. And he did so by taking five loaves and two fish from a young boy, and he multiplied those and spread them around to everyone who was there, 5,000 people, and he fed them. And it's amazing that that episode in the opening verses of John chapter six, um, the disciples said it would take 200 denarii. It would take 200 days wages in order to feed everybody who's here just a little bit of food. But that miracle happened and it was a sign of what was to come. When that happened, that Jesus fed the 5,000, they immediately wanted to grab onto Jesus and make him, their king. That's a signal of what's coming. The other thing that precedes this discourse on the bread of life is that Israel had a history that God provided for them for 40 years in the wilderness, every day giving them manna. And every day they would eat manna in order to make it to the next day. And they would wake up in the morning and God would provide manna from heaven, bread from heaven, in order that they would eat today, in order to make it to tomorrow. And that was in their mind. They knew that God had provided and that they had lived day to day on manna. And perhaps 
The last thing I'll just remind you of is that Jesus is making a statement that I am. I am the bread of life. And again, if you were with us last week, you know that Jesus is revealing something about himself tied to the God of the Old Testament who heard the groanings of his people. He remembered his covenant to them. He saw where they were. He knew their suffering and he came down to them to lead them out of bondage in Egypt and he promised to be with them. I say that to you because those verbs of relationship from Exodus chapter three emerge again out of this text from John chapter six. Now what happens is after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus goes to the other side uh, in a boat and a miracle happens on the way and the crowd follows him there uh, to Capernaum. And in verse 25 of John chapter six, we read these words. When they found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent, whom he has sent. They said to him, then what sign will you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We'll stop there. There are four things I want you to see in this text. And the first is, they're all tied to this phrase that's repeated about seven times in the rest of John chapter six. And it is, he who comes down out of heaven. So in our minds, that's a verbal signal to Exodus three, when God is revealing his name as the great I am, the one who knows and hears and sees and remembers and comes down, Jesus is now grabbing onto that phrase as the one who's coming down to be the great I am. And the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is the great I am, the true manna. I am the true bread. Now, what happens in this episode is there is a great disconnect between the listeners in the crowd and Jesus. And he's using a metaphor, simply a means of taking something that they knew and associating it with something of greater meaning or other meaning, a bit more abstract. So what you will see throughout this conversation of the crowd and Jesus is they're talking about bread. 
that they ate for breakfast or for lunch. And Jesus is talking about bread at a different level and talking about the true bread that comes down out of heaven. And he came down in order to be the true bread. You can tell that in verse uh, 26, where Jesus says, you're only coming to me because you saw the sign of the feeding of the 5,000, but you don't really believe in me yet. But you're only, you had your belly full. And so now you're coming to me for more bread. Verse 27, don't just work for food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. The Father has set his seal of approval on him. Jesus is beginning to say things about himself, that he has a Father, that he's in heaven, and that the Father approves of what he's doing. And they're interested, clearly, in working for the food that you eat today and then need again tomorrow, the food on this level. They say to him, well, what must we be doing to do the works of God? Um, Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. I think they're asking, what do we have to do for God's approval? Very simple answer here. Jesus simply says, you believe in him that God sent. They challenge him more, what sign are you going to do for us? What sign will you do for us? You get the sense that they're saying to Jesus, we want you to do for us what we want. And they're trying to define the relationship to Jesus. We want you to be our king. We want you to be our provider. Be the one who gives to us the food that we need for our bellies. They even go as far as to quote the Old Testament to him. And they make an analogy back to the feeding through the wilderness of manna from heaven. He gave them bread from heaven. He gave them manna. So they quote some scripture to Jesus. You're really from God above? You know, in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, God took care of his people with manna. Can you do something like that for us today and tomorrow and the next day? And uh, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, it wasn't Moses. Let me clarify something. It wasn't Moses who gave you that bread. But my father gives the true bread. I want you to put your eye on those verses, verse 32 and 33. My father gives the true bread, a bread that is of a different variety, the true manna from heaven. For the bread of God... And then he defines it. The bread that God gives is he. It's a person. The bread is not a substance. It is an identity of a, of a person. It's he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So the whole discourse begins with, first of all, Jesus coming down to say, I am the true bread. Secondly, the second he comes down uh, follows on with verse 34. He said to, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. Now there's a connection between the word, give us this bread again and again and again and again and again. And what Jesus answers in verse 35, Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise him up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The second thing that Jesus says he comes to do, comes down out of heaven, is not only to be the true bread, the real manna, the life-giving manna, but he comes down out of heaven to do the will of his Father. And there's some fantastic language here that Jesus uses to describe that he comes down out of heaven to do the will of the Father And that is that when the Father brings people into saving faith with himself, he saves them and gives them to the Son. Verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. This is a beautiful picture of the security of the believer who is brought into faith by God saving them, bringing them into relationship with himself and giving them, as it were, to the son. And then the son saying the same thing, I will never cast them out. These go together that the father saves those who believe in the son and the son keeps them and the sense of security for those who are in the son is beautiful. And it's tied to Jesus coming down out of heaven to do the will of the Father to save people securely for all of eternity. Again, he says, um, I will lose nothing of all who have been given to me and I will raise them up on the last day. You see, what Jesus is saying is I'm the bread of life and I've come to give life through who I am. I have come because I'm the true manna and I've come to do the will of the Father and the will of the Father is to save people and to save them eternally so that they have eternal life. Not just bread for this life and then need it again tomorrow, but look at verse 35. I am the bread of life. That begs the question, how do you eat the bread of life? That's verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is describing here the way in which you eat the true manna. Whoever comes to me will not be hungry. Whoever um, believes in me shall never thirst. So it turns out that here again, you, you see the crowd going one way and Jesus going another Jesus is actually describing a different kind of bread himself and a different way of consumption. It's coming to him and believing in him. 
Now they were missing it, but they shouldn't have missed it. They shouldn't have missed it because it might have come to their mind in the Old Testament that that's exactly what Isaiah prophesied and said. You should come, everyone who's thirsty. Verse chapter 55, come to the waters and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant. That's Isaiah 55 after 53 where our Lord is the suffering servant. I'm just saying that the crowd was not getting it. But Jesus was saying, I have come to do the will of my father, which is to save people, to save them securely and eternally. And here's how it happens. It comes by eating this bread, which means coming to him, believing in him, trusting in him. It's quite clear that they're missing this altogether, but it is how you eat this bread. Last thing I will say here is the security of our life in God rests in God saving and Jesus keeping. I've come to do the will of my Father. Is there ever a chance that Jesus might not do the will of his Father? Jesus' obedience to his father, doing his will, is the foundation for our security in Jesus. I am the bread of life. I came to be the true bread. I came to do the will of my father, which was to save people securely who come to me and believe in me. Thirdly, I have come to be the one who reveals God. So the Jews in verse 41 begin to grumble with him. And here's the phrase again. They grumble with him because Jesus said, I'm the bread who came down out of heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, son of Joseph? His father is a carpenter and his mother, we know her. How does he say that I have come down out of heaven? You get what John's doing? John is really grabbing on to what the crowd's saying. Hey, this is the one that came out of heaven. But he seems like he's just Joseph's son, Jesus. And we know his mother, Mary. And they said, this isn't, uh, I'm sorry, verse 43. Jesus answered and said, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
In this section, the third thing we see about Jesus is he's the one who came down out of heaven to reveal who God is. What is meant by the phrase, um, no man can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. What is this drawing that's going on in the text in order to come to Jesus? I think what's being underscored is that the whole work of coming to God by faith is a work of God. You see that? It's a work of God in us. Not our works. You don't do the works to get to him, but God is drawing him. God is drawing him through the bread of life that he sent, Jesus. Um, It's written in the prophets. They will be taught by God. They will be taught by God, and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The only one who can do that, who who can lead people to know who the Father is, is the one who knows the Father. And that's what's in verse 46. Um, the only one who knows the Father is one who is from the Father. And that's me. I've seen the Father. So I can draw you to him. What Jesus is describing as a function of coming down out of heaven as the bread of life is his role to work in the hearts of people when they can't respond to him. Listen. We need God's work in our life. God draws people. God saves people by his grace. We preach the gospel. We teach the word of God. But it's God who does that. And he sent Jesus to do it. And he's the one who draws us into life with him. I've been around a number of people and I have some great illustrations in my mind of people who said to me, no, I don't want to receive Christ. No, I don't want to receive Christ. No, I don't want to receive Christ. And then something happened and God opened their heart and they broke before the Lord and said, I need Christ. No, 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 no. And what happens that all of a sudden a heart is open? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Surely they will be taught by God. We can talk to real blue in the face, but we simply open the word and say, Jesus is the true bread. He came to do the will of the Father to save eternally those who trust in him. And he's working in the hearts of people. No one can come to the Father unless he draws them. And I have come down to make the Father known to be the teacher of the things of God. I am the bread of life. Now, the last thing I would say to you about the bread of life is that Jesus came down to offer his life, to give his life as the bread of life. And we pick this up in um, verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, at this point, you know that metaphor is happening. 
And the minds of the listeners are still thinking flour and barley and cakes. And Jesus now describes in full detail, in graphic language, that the bread that he's giving for the life of the world is his flesh. And so in the words that come Truly I say to you, verse 53, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man, unless you drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day. Are you listening? For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. What? This is where many people have just said, I I don't get this language. And Jesus is in the first century talking to people who get where food comes from. True eternal life comes because the son of God comes down from heaven, gives his life, says it is true bread that you must eat. And he uses this metaphorical language. But let me see if I can help understand it better. Every time you eat, something has to die. Do you know that? Sometime later this week, you're going to go to the fast food place, you're going to get lunch, and you're going to order a hamburger. You haven't probably ever thought about it this way, but do you realize what had to die in order for you to have a hamburger? A cow had to die for you to eat. say, well, I would never want to do that. I would never want to kill a cow. We don't think about that, but a cow died that you could have a hamburger. And so did lettuce and tomato and onion. And if you like pickles, cucumbers. Literally, in order for us to eat, something has to die. You say, well, if it's not a cow, then what is it? Then then it's, um, it's a fish. Or it's chicken. But in order for us to live today, something had to die so that I can eat. There's a substitution that takes place for me to have a meal so that I can be nourished so that I don't die. And if I don't eat, I die. Do you understand that? That's really what Jesus is saying. They, they understood it more, but Jesus gives his life and he dies so that our consuming him, our ingesting him, our embracing him leads to life for us. And if we do not eat him, we die. If we don't embrace him, say that language is too hard. Okay, then go back to verse 35. How did Jesus describe what eating the bread of life is? Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me. If you come to Jesus and believe in Jesus, what will your life be like? Your life will be like, you will never be hungry. You will never thirst. There will never be another time you will need to turn to any other source for spiritual nourishment because he is the one who takes what is blind and gives sight. He gives 
life to what is dead. He takes what is corrupted in sin and he gives forgiveness. He takes the one who's in despair and grief because of our sin and he gives eternal life. And once you come to know Jesus, the bread of life, there is no reason to turn to any other source. This is what is meant when Jesus says, I am the bread of life that came down out of heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate, verse 58, and they died. But whoever eats this bread will live forever. I am the true bread and nourishment. I am the one who does the will of my father. I am the one who reveals what God is. And I am the one who gives my life as a substitute that you can have life. Do you know him? Jesus is the great I am who changes everything. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the bread of life for us, the nourishment for our soul, the one who gives to the very depths of us when we come to him, salvation that changes everything and nourishes our soul like no other source of nourishment can give. And when you know Jesus, you are secure in the Father's hand. You are saved from your sins and there is no thirsting. So I just say to you as you're listening, have you come to Jesus? Have you come to believe in him and to trust in him? He is the one source of life. And so we trust in you, God. We know what you can do in our life. Open our hearts to come near and to believe with all our hearts that you are who you say you are, the single source of nourishment. Thank you that you died, that we would not have to, that you are the bread that nourishes our soul. Nourish us today. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.